Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Let's pray together. Uh, I love that song that was just being played, Lord. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I ever am and all I ever hope to be. For it's only in your will that I am free, Lord. Mm. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. We thank you for the food in our cupboards. We thank you for fuel in our car, roof over our heads. We thank you for clean water. Thank you for a dry, warm bed to sleep in. We thank you for our health, for our health care. Thank you that when it comes down to it, we don't go without. Thank you for the crops growing, for the rain. Uh, Thank you that every good gift is a gift from above. Lord, accept our tithes, our gifts and our offerings as part of our sacrifice, as part of our, our gift to you, as part of our worship, that we get to join with you in ex- and seeing your kingdom come and your will being done on Hor- in Horsham, around the world as it is in heaven. We pray for the people that will steward these finances, Lord, that uh, they, will use, they will have wisdom and discernment to know what to do and what uh, where to sow the seed, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. Uh, if you are of the smart device variety, you can open up the Bible app from version, and you can uh, follow along the Scriptures in there. We're going to camp out in John chapter 6. There are a couple of other uh, Scriptures that I've put into the Bible app that you can follow along. You can read them later on, just looking at the original Passover and then Jesus sharing um, in communion with his disciples. But John chapter 6 is where we're going to stay. And today we start a new series, He Said What? You have to read it like that. You can't just say, He Said What? You have to say, He Said What? Um, Looking at some of the crazy things that Jesus said. And if you grew up in church, if you, like myself, I grew up in church, so... I just accept this as, as normal, like that's just what Jesus said. Um, but if you, even if you actually stop and think about it and really look at some of the things that Jesus said, or if you're new to church life, if you've never been to church before, maybe this is your first time ever in church, you picked a good day to be here, um, or maybe you've started following Jesus recently, but you're still just reading somewhere in the Bible, and then you find out that Jesus talks about eating my body and drinking my blood, and you're like, um, what? So over the next four weeks, we're going to get some of those crazier sayings that Jesus shared with his disciples and with us, and go, what is going on here? Sounds fun? Uh, So, and a bit later on, towards the end of it, we're going to share in communion, and also do some ministry time as well for a few different things um, that are on our heart today. What I would say to overarch the whole series, not just today, but over the series. So I'm going to do today, next Sunday, and then Linda's going to pick up the last two Sundays in July, is the importance of relationship. Relationship is key. Because you can pick this up and you can start reading through it, and you can, and you can read these crazy things that Jesus says and go, uh, I don't understand, I'm out. Like, I'm walking away. And we'll find out that's what, actually what people did. They heard what Jesus had to say, and then they were this is too much for us, Jesus. We can't handle it. We walk away. But everything that Jesus does is actually an invitation into intimacy and connection with Him and the Father. Yeah? So when Jesus does the things that He does, when Jesus says the things that He says, the ultimate goal is that if we can go deeper beyond what He says on the surface and actually get to the heart of what He's trying to convey, that we're actually drawn deeper into our relationship with Him. He actually did this by sharing the parables. He would tell these crazy stories to his disciples, to the crowds that were listening, and the crowds would be like scratching their heads and we're not really sure what you're on about, Jesus. And then the disciples, the disciples would get along with Jesus and say, 
uh, we don't actually know what you're talking about, Jesus. And so Jesus would explain it to them. And the idea was that things were hidden in the parables, not to keep, keep people at a distance, but to actually invite people into intimacy and connection. And it's the same that we have today. We don't have Jesus standing amongst us to speak directly to us. What we do have is his, God still speaks. I don't deny that for a minute. We have, through His Word, through Scripture, is an invitation into connection and intimacy and relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as we read this, as we hear the things that Jesus had to say, we get an opportunity, we get an invitation to connect with Him at a deeper level. It's a, a fence that can actually keep us at a distance from Him. If we hear what He has to say, if we read what Jesus has said and get offended, or at, at the same time, um, choose not to engage with Jesus or go deeper in our relationship because of our lack of understanding, we're the ones that miss out. And so Jesus constantly extends an invitation and says, here's what I'm conveying, here's what I'm communi communicating, here's what I'm on about, here is what the kingdom is like. And he said that numerous times. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who buys a field and then goes on to talk about that. And as Norell shared at the start of the service, to take a spiritual reality, Jesus did this so much when he talked about being born again, to take a spiritual reality and give it a physical framework. It's too hard for us to understand heavenly concepts, so Jesus puts it in a physical framework to try and explain it to us. And that's what he does here with this phrase that we have today. We don't, um, Jesus actually warns the Pharisees having conversations in John chapter 5, and he says this, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So you can actually study the scriptures and plenty of people have studied the scriptures and they've been Christian and they've studied the scriptures and they don't understand, they have too many questions, too much confusion, so they walk away from a relationship with God. They have too many doubts or fears, questions or concerns and they say, it's too much for my brain, I'm out. Or there's people that want to think, might want to get to know Jesus, so they study and they read, trying to fill their head with knowledge, but actually not connecting on a heart-to-heart -heart level with Jesus, who is the living Word, and get offended because they don't understand, so they walk away. And Jesus addressed the people that were there with Him. It's not just a modern-day problem. It was a problem that Jesus was dealing with when He walked the earth. And He said, you study the Scriptures because you think that that's the way to have eternal life, you're wrong. That doesn't work. The only way to have eternal life is that you come to the one who is the Word, and that is me, and I will give you the life that you seek. And the invitation is the same for us 2,000 years later as it was back then. Um, I, hands up if you're married. How many people are married? All right, fair number of us. Do you have, you don't have to answer this, this will generate some conversation. In your relationship, spouse to spouse, do you have a way of conversing, relating with one another that is just unique to the two of you and that nobody else around you has a clue about or understands? There's some people going, I don't know what you're talking about right now. The people, mm-hmm. So I didn't realize this was a thing, but my wife and I, we have conversations using our eyes. I'm not sure why that's funny, um, and Simon was actually MC at our, at our wedding reception. He commented on this, and I just thought, well, that's what every couple does. That's, that's, that's nothing. But I realized there's more and more, and we've had conversations with people that we've met for the first time, and they said to us, oh, you two actually talk to each other just with your eyes. And we, we know that more and more, that we, do have, we can have conversations. You know nothing about, we know what's going on. So if I stand up here and I'm looking at my wife, she's not going to look at me now. <laughs> I might be saying something here to all of you and having a conversation with my wife. I don't do that. Don't, don't freak out. Um, and it's not like we're not, you know, deciding what we're going to have for dinner or anything like that. It's not, it's not entire conversations, but we actually have a connection and a relationship that 
is aided, that is deepened because of our eye-to-eye contact. Now, you as a married couple, for those that are married, you might have your own way. Some people that's um, like hand gestures or signals, a couple that we talked to in America, they were good oh, 15, 20 years older than us and he talked about um, this chirping sound that he used to make. Um, and some people think, what? what are you on about? But for these two, it was actually this point of connection for them that was unique to them. That nobody else would understand. They would just think, why is he chirping like a bird right now? But for them, like, when he chirped, she understood that he was encouraging her, that he was spurring her on, that he was saying, it's okay, I'm with you, it's okay, go for it, you, you've got this, whatever it might be. They understood it, it was their own way of relating. So Norella and I, we can have a conversation, we can interact with each other with our eyes um, and I've, I've actually discovered that some of it is hereditary and uh, my mother-in-law is here today um, and if you ask Olivia later on, um, my mother-in-law Karen and my wife both have a wink. All right, and you think, what, so what? No, no but there's power in the wink. All right, and it depends who does the wink, who they're winking at, and the context of the conversation. See, it's powerful, isn't it? And I'm sure you're all mesmerized. You're like, what does this have to do with with Jesus? It has everything to do with Jesus. Man, there's going to be some fascinating lunchtime conversation today, isn't there? Don't ask my wife to wink at you, please. I will hunt you down. (laughs) Actually, don't ask my mother-in-law either. She will hunt you down. Thanks, Soph. No, but that's not the entirety of our relationship. It's not just in the glances, it's not just the eye-to-eye contact. That's a part of it, but that's not all of it. In the eye-to-eye contact is an invitation to go deeper. Does that make sense? Like, it's, like when Narelle looks at me, when we have a conversation with our eyes, I'm not like, I don't understand you, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm actually like, oh, really? I'm drawn to her. There's an invitation to intimacy and connection, to going deeper in the relationship. I want to know more about what you're thinking. I want to know more about what you're feeling. What are you conveying? So sometimes, and just like, life is nuts. There's always, you know, something happening in a, in a f- household of six. So sometimes we'll convey stuff with our eyes and we'll come back to it later on. So what was going on there? Rather than trying to address it in the moment because that's not healthy. We don't have this eye-to-eye contact with Jesus. What we have is an invitation to go deeper. Say, what, what are you saying, Jesus? What does that mean? What is that, what's happening for you? What are you trying to express to me when you're conveying this? Uh, in John chapter 6, I've put in the whole chapter just because I want to kind of give some context to what's happening here. Um, and rather than read the whole chapter, you can go and read the whole chapter later on. Um, Jesus it starts off, John chapter 6 starts off with the feeding of the 5,000. And it's incredible that Jesus is with his disciples and then the crowds come to him. A great crowd of people followed him um, because they'd seen the miraculous signs that he'd performed with the sick people and all the people that had been healed. So Jesus goes away and sits down with his disciples and then the crowd comes up to be with him as well. Um, and then he says to Philip, uh, this is 6 verse 5, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for for each person to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So already there's this movement from where Jesus has healed a lot of people, And some people from being healed by Jesus actually want to go deeper in their relationship. They're like, Jesus, thank you so much. I love you so much. I want to follow you. I want to be a follower. And and to some people, Jesus says, no, go back to your home village. No, go and see the priests. Okay, come follow me. It's different nearly every time in Jesus' response. But the crowd have seen what Jesus can do, what he is like, what he can do. Still don't have a real handle on who he is as Messiah, Saviour of the world. And so they're just drawn to Him, they're attracted to Him because of what He can do for them. 
And so the crowds follow him and they go after him. Jesus trying to get some alone time, just be by himself, trying to be with the disciples, do some teaching with them and some empowering with them. And the crowds follow him. And so they come and Jesus has compassion on them um, and then feeds them all, all through this. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to, to a mountain by himself. What you see, so in there, um, sorry, I just went off on a tangent in my thought and decided not to follow it. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. There's a movement throughout chapter 6. So here they say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They see him as one prophesied to come and be the Messiah of the people. It goes down Jesus and then there's a scene, there's a, a scene where Jesus actually walks on water, catches up with the disciples in the boat. I know that I'm going quickly through this, but I want to get to the point. In verse 25, when the crowd found him on the other side of the lake, um, the next day they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And then Jesus gives them an answer about when he gets here and starts to get into the discourse about being the bread of life. And then further on, the Jews are getting grumpy. This is verse 41, 42. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So I want to I highlight those verses for a reason. I want you to see the movement that happens. So here's Jesus and the miraculous signs that he performs. People are healed, people are saved, people are filled, like fed. They've got full bellies, they're satisfied, they're like, this guy is amazing, is he the prophet? All right? And then the next day, they catch up with him and then they've got a question and they see him as a teacher of the people. They say, Rabbi, and they connect with him as a priest, as a teacher. So it's gone from prophet, which is highly esteemed and one of the few, to rabbi. There's many rabbis. Jesus was a rabbi. He wasn't the only rabbi in the day, but he was a rabbi. And so they connect with him on that level. And then the Jews are, are having a, an argument and not being sure about what Jesus is trying to teach them or just really grappling with the truth that he's trying to, to suggest to them, to say to them, says, isn't, isn't this Jesus? Isn't this, like, isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? So it goes from prophet to rabbi to just one of the kids that grew up in the neighborhood. Do you see that? And so already over this time, it goes from Jesus the Messiah, the one who performs the miraculous signs and feeds the crowds and does incredible things, all the way down to, oh, he's just one of the kids that grew up in the neighborhood. And if we're not careful, so we don't have physical Jesus here today. But if we're not careful, I feel like one of the things that we can actually do is to dismiss what we don't understand, either through familiarity or lack of understanding. And we miss what Jesus is trying to do or what Jesus has done or what Jesus wants to give us or impart to us because we just become too familiar with who he is. And we sing the songs and we say, Jesus, Messiah, name above all names, but or we get excited because we got baptized or somebody else got baptized, but we don't actually stay connected with the one who is the saviour of the world, who's inviting us to go deeper in our relationship and our connection with him to discover more of who he is and what he's like. You know, I know that I've already talked about my marriage. When I, when I got married, and I've talked about this with Narelle and other people as well, when I got married, I thought I kn knew nearly everything. I won't say everything. Um, I thought I knew a lot. And we were 20, and we were babies. And now my eldest daughter is 15, which is the age that her mother was when we started dating. And they're like, um... That's interesting. And we're excited, but it like it's 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 coming up fast. And now I'm, you know, in my forties, been married for twenty years this year, and we look back at when we got married and we thought, ah, oh, we knew nothing. And now I'm not really even sure what I know now. But I love my wife and I love my kids. But I'm just oh I'm astounded. 
further along I go in my relationship with Narelle, in watching our kids grow up, in my relationship with Jesus, I realise not only how much did I not know back then, but I realise there's so much more to know that I'll never discover. And it's the same with Jesus. As soon as you think that you know everything there is to know about Jesus, you don't have him pegged one little bit. If you think that you know everything there is to know about your spouse, we've got this incredible workshop coming up for you in October. You might like to sign up for it. That was good, wasn't it? There's always more with the Lord. Always. And as soon as you think, if you you think, I don't understand, then you you say that to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what you're saying. Because Jesus is always at work to draw us closer to him. Such is his relationship and his love for us. And we can't become too familiar with who he is or what he's like. Otherwise, we miss out. on what he's saying and doing. There's a whole movement. I'm doing a study at the moment looking at um, Jesus relating to people throughout the Gospels. Um, Just this movement that sometimes he's one-on-one with a person. Sometimes he's with um, three of his disciples, the the inner circle, if you will. Sometimes he's with the 12. Sometimes he's with the group of disciples, which was larger than the 12. That might have been the 70 at different times. And sometimes he's with the crowd. And there's this movement of him being by himself with the Father, him being with the few, the disciples, the crowd, the disciples by himself with the Father, and so on. And even in this John chapter 6, you see that, that Jesus goes to be by himself, and then he's with the disciples, and then he's with the entire crowd, and then it's Jesus by himself, and then he's with the disciples, and then he's with the crowd. Until he gets to this point where he does this whole teaching of eating my flesh and drinking my blood, and everybody walks away. And so my, my question for myself and for us as a house of God, for us as the Horsham Church of Christ, for us as people of the kingdom of God here in Horsham is, are we going to lay it all on the line? Are we going to give our absolute yes to Jesus even if everybody walks away? Here's verse 35 in John chapter 6. Then Jesus declared... Uh, Actually, go back to verse 32. I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So right there, Jesus is talking about Himself offending all the Jews in their their knowledge of Scripture and the Messiah and the one who was to come. Verse 35. Actually, verse 34. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. So go back a couple, of, a couple of chapters ago, it's Jesus and the woman at the well, and Jesus says, I have living water that you know nothing about. She says, sir, give me this water that I will never be thirsty again. Now, she's not even a Jew, yet she goes from that encounter and tells all of her, sta- her town, her village about it, and they all come out to see Jesus. And from that encounter, their village is saved and changed forever. Here we have a similar kind of exchange with the crowd, some of them Jews. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me, and still you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Go now to verse 53. Jesus said to them, in response to their sharp arguing, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me 
and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Do you read, I was just going to say, do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible and is there some parts that you read and you just think, um, next. Like, you kind of read it just to go through it, but you're not actually sure what it means, so you just keep going. I did, I did that to this passage for a long time. And sometimes you just read it and you go, I, okay, that's the word of Jesus. Thank you. Not really sure. But again, the invitation to go deeper, to connect with Jesus, to connect with the Father and hear Him. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples, not just the 12 disciples, but many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? What if you see him return to the heavenlies where he came from? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life, yet there are some of you who don't believe. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled you. Again, here's a spiritual truth that Jesus is really revealing with the physical reality. And we're going to share in communion at the, in, in a moment when we share in a small wafer, symbolic of the body of Jesus, and we share in a small cup, symbolic of the blood of Jesus. But Jesus didn't have the last supper Jesus didn't institute this this meal as we call it as mere symbols anytime Jesus did it in this and when he shared in the last supper with his disciples he said eat for this is my body drink for this is my flesh and we got well that's clearly not the body of Jesus that's that's not the blood of Jesus this is getting this is getting weird until we see things from Jesus' perspective, until we understand that He is looking to reveal a kingdom mindset, a kingdom truth, and to put it in a physical framework so we can receive it and take on board what He is imparting to us. Jesus said to Nicodemus, if I try and impart heavenly things to you, yet you can't understand the physical truth, how are you going to understand the heavenly things that I try and teach you? How are you going to understand the things of the kingdom? unless I put them in a way that you understand them. If, if Jesus tried to share out his physical body and his physical blood, how many of us would partake in that? If Jesus says, here is the bread and here is the wine, or the juice as we have it today, and he says, when you take these things, take upon yourself, become a part of my body, take upon yourself my blood, Take these things within you and become a part of who I am. Be nourished by the things that truly give you life, not just in having the symbol of communion, but in actually accepting who Jesus is, all that Jesus has done, his life, his death and resurrection, and saying, Jesus, I join with you and receive from you new life that I can only get from you. You are the bread of life. You are the living water. You are the blood of the new covenant. I say yes to you. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. He turns to the twelve and says, you do not want to leave too, do you? So here's the crowds. We've got Jesus in the crowds and the crowds that think Jesus is the prophet. He is prophetic. He is the Messiah. They know more than they realize. They've, had their fi they've been fed. They've been healed and they've had their bellies full of food because none of them walked away hungry. There's the crowds, there's the Jews that see all this happening but it really messes with their idea of this is Jesus from the hood. Like, this is Joseph and Mary's boy. Why should we accept what he's teaching us? And they all walk away. All walk away. They all make a choice not to go deeper in their relationship because of the truth that Jesus reveals to them. And it's not because Jesus doesn't make this stuff up just to test people and see where they're at and try something new or try and scare people away. He says, no, here's an invitation. And he says to the 12, you do not want to leave too. And I love Simon Peter's response. Verse 68, Lord, 
to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Correct, Peter, well done. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. I wouldn't say that was one of Jesus' most encouraging days. Would you like? Preaches everybody away and then says, have I not chosen all twelve of you, yet one of you is a devil? There's a couple of things that stand out for me from this. One is, if you're going to follow Jesus, and some of us know this more than others, if you're going to follow Jesus, it means that there's going to be some people that will have nothing to do with you. If you're actually going to stand up for the things of the kingdom and what Jesus calls you to stand up for, and who Jesus calls you to be, it means we have to let go of some of the things of this world. The things of this world. This world is not our priority. As we sang it this morning, heaven is our home. That's where we come from. That's where we're going. That's the mindset that we operate from. And sometimes when we stand up for what we believe in, not just to scare people off or to show the world how grumpy or cross or angry we get about things of this world, but to actually say, do you know what? This is what I stand for. This is what I believe. There's going to be some people that say, I don't want anything to do with you right now. And we have to be okay with that. And in sharing in this, in sharing in the simple emblems of communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, however, you, whatever you want to call it, we get to participate with Jesus, not only in His suffering and His death, but in His life and His resurrection. This is the hope and the promise that we have from Jesus. I want to, as we head into a time of communion, I want to highlight something that would have happened for all the Jews listening. So the first Passover, as most of us know, happened when the Israelites were still in Egypt. And they were called, God had them get ready and God through Moses performed miraculous signs and caused some plagues and really messed with the Egyptians and their view of who God is and what He was like. And then came the first Passover when they, each family, each household was to sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood over their doorframe, on their doorframe. And then the angel would pass over them and their firstborn would be safe from death. And they were to share in the lamb as a meal and to not have any bread that had yeast in it. And they shared in this meal and they got themselves ready to leave Egypt the next day. And it goes from painting the blood over the doorframe it occurred to me as I was getting ready for today that those Israelites, not only did that stop the angel of death going into their house and taking the firstborn, but each member of that household had to walk through that doorframe to leave the house the next day. And it was through the blood of the lamb that they had freedom from captivity, literally. Through the death and the blood of the lamb. It's the same for the followers of Jesus. It's the same for you and me, that it is through His death and His life that we have freedom from captivity, that we are no longer slaves, that heaven is our home. So when we, we read about eating the body of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus, it's not just some weird thing that Jesus teaches to try and scare people off. It's an invitation to participate in who He is, what He's like and what He's done for us such is the promise and the hope that we have in him and through him can i ask that as you receive the wafer and the juice that you hold on to it isaiah 53 says surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows yet we considered him stricken by god smitten by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So this is from the prophet Isaiah. Centuries before Jesus was crucified, prophesying the one who was to come and what he would do, and what we would have through his death and his resurrection. We're going to share in communion and then we're going to um, have a time of ministry for some different things that the Lord's laid on my heart. 
But as we share in this, even before we actually take these into our body, as you hold the wafer, don't see just the wafer, but see the body of Jesus pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He was punished that you and I could have peace. He didn't deserve it. He, did the, he took the punishment we deserve so we could get the peace that we don't deserve. And as we drink the, the juice, let us be reminded that it's by His wounds we might be healed, we will be healed. No, no. By his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. Let us eat, celebrating who Jesus is and all that he's done and the life that we have in his body. Let us drink, not just remembering what Jesus did one time on a cross, but the life we have forever through his death and his resurrection. By his stripes, we are healed. All right, there's a few things that I want to, in light of the life that we have in and through Jesus Christ, uh, there's a few things, a few things um, that I want to pray into spending time with the Lord. And these are the things that came to mind. There might be others as we move forward. Uh, so, I want to pray, um, some of us would know Simon and Samara Dandy and their son Fletcher. Uh, Fletcher is currently very unwell. Um, you might not know Fletcher. Um, he is, I think he's in hospital in Ballarat, the last that I know. He's having multiple seizures and a brain condition um, that is incredibly rare. Fletcher has a rare brain condition. Apparently one is diagnosed every two years on average. The spectrum of outcomes is huge from mild to the ultimate. He may or may not walk again. He may or may not be intellectually disabled. It could lead to death, but they say it probably won't in his case. He's on a drug that only 12 kids are on in the world. He's still having constant seizures about four an hour. He cannot talk and he is so very tired. He's not in a good way. So uh, in a minute we're going to pray for Fletcher and for Simon and Samara and their family because that is not on, not on our watch. Um, that is not from God, that is not part of the kingdom. So we just want to join with that family and say no more. Um, I lost my notes. If you have, oh, can I start off with this? Can can we operate as family? Like, I don't know if there's another way to put that. Sometimes we we have these times of ministry, or we invite people to receive prayer, and we say, "Hey, this is what we believe the Lord's doing." And then nine times out of ten, and I'm not trying to guilt you into anything please don't feel that way i'm trying to encourage you to know that this is a place of safety and courage and even boldness and a place of welcome so when i name this stuff it's not to shame people even what i'm saying now it's not to shame you into action it's to say we do this because we believe what this is what god wants to do in this moment and we invite you to be a part of it because what happens nearly every time we have a time like this we receive feedback tomorrow in a week in a month in six months and somebody says oh you said that and i was going to stand up but i didn't know if i should or if it was me if you think it's you if you think it fits stand up take it okay like let's let's be bold and step out together i'm being bold by calling these things out let's all be bold together is that fair enough all right if you have received if you've got a diagnosis and the doctor says, oh, there's no hope or there's nothing we can do. All right, I'll just start by asking you to raise your hand for now. 
The, do- the doctor's saying, nothing we can do, or they use words like, there's no hope, or we're not certain. Okay, one. And if you change your mind later and like, yeah, actually, you're talking about me, that's okay. If you have a long-term illness and have a sense you're doing all the right things but you're not seeing the results that the medical experts say you should be seeing or you're not seeing the results or the breakthrough that you want, if that's you, can you put your, raise your hand? Long-term illness. There's a couple of us. Yep. Uh, if you have... Uh, a bone that hasn't set properly, particularly elbows, shoulders, uh, I have a sense, but any bone that you broke at some point, but it hasn't set properly. Is there anybody that, that has that? Yep. Um, all right. If you um, are married and want to have children but haven't been able to have children, or you've had children, I know this is super vulnerable, I realise that, you've had children but there's actually lasting pain slash side effects from, oh, I don't mean the child, like that is a lasting side effect of childbirth, I understand that. Um, but if you as the mum has had lasting side effects slash pain slash discomfort from childbirth, um, can I ask you to raise your hand? Yep. Oh, and I'll do this for anything that I've said. If you know somebody, they're not here today, and you know somebody that fits these descriptions, in a minute we're going to stand up, then can you stand in the gap for those people? We can actually represent people that aren't here and claim healing on their behalf and pray for them, okay? All right, so anything of that. Diagnosis of no hope, long-term illnesses, not getting the results you want, bones that haven't set properly, not being able to have children, or lasting pain slash discomfort from childbirth. Can I ask you, if you did raise your hand, can you stand and we are going to gather around you as a church family and pray for you? All right, church family, let's gather around our brothers and sisters. Just ask them quickly to find out what's going. Don't need a life story, just in a sentence. And if they don't want to tell you, that's completely okay. Don't take it personally. To say, I'd rather not share and then just pray. Don't pray yet. I just want you to find out what it is that you're going to pray for. All right? We'll just make sure everybody's got somebody. And over all of this, we declare that by His stripes, you are healed. All right, so if you know what you're praying into... Just begin to release the kingdom of heaven into that situation. If it's a medical condition, command that condition to leave in Jesus' name. If it's a bone that hasn't set, command it to set in the name of Jesus. Pray boldly. Pray with freedom and with courage, knowing that we are seated in heavenly places. More than You can pray more than one person at a time headaches leave in Jesus name may blood be purified by the blood of Jesus alright ask that person I know this isn't possible for everything that we're praying for but if that person can test it out and see if there's a difference ask the person if they can feel the difference even if they can sense the peace of Jesus coursing through their body in in this moment we pray not just hoping something happened, we pray believing it will happen. There's a difference. And when we see changes, when we see results, it stirs our faith to go after more things of the kingdom. If there's anyone that's experienced change, if it, the situation is improved, can you raise your hand and wave at me so we can see? We've got one person. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your healing. Some people will have to go and get it tested out, go back to the doctors. We are believing for change. We believe for complete healing. Some people say, why do you say people will be healed, not that they might be healed? One, um, 
There's nothing in Scripture to suggest that you might be healed. There's everything in Scripture to say that you are healed, that you, that you will be healed, not that you might be healed. And also, if I stood up here and said that you might be healed, I guaranteed nine out of ten people would think, well, it's not for me then. Whereas if I say you are healed, you will be healed as we pray these things, we declare these things over you. We all have an increased expectancy of what Jesus wants to do in us and through us. Right, be still with that person, just bless them. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's. Are you all okay? Good. All right, I want to share one more thing. One more realization, something the Lord shared with me, and then we're going to stand and pray together. There's one verse back in in Exodus somewhere. I won't look it up now. It says, when they're getting ready for Passover, when the Israelites are getting ready to leave Egypt, and I love the fact that they loot their neighbors. It's the most polite looting ever. They say, please give us your gold and silver. And the Egyptians hand it over and clothes. And then the Israelites walk out. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, I don't encourage it. I don't, you know, unless the Lord's on it. Don't go to your neighbors and say, we're leaving. Give us your gold and silver. Um, but it says, eat nothing containing yeast. So, oh, okay. And there's a whole thing around that. What is yeast? Yeast is an agent that makes things rise, but it makes things rise from the inside. That's right, isn't it? Like you put the yeast in and that's what makes the bread get bigger and expand. All right? Don't eat yeast. It's the feast of unleavened bread. I see it as a reminder. It's not actually anything within me that gives me life. It's not anything within me that gives me healing or hope or restoration or anything. It's actually Jesus within me and upon me. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. It was God. If I, if I can use this language, like forgive me for not you know, getting it completely spot on. It was God outside of Jesus. I know God and Jesus are one. It was God outside of Jesus that exercised his power to raise Jesus from the dead. It wasn't anything within Jesus that restored him to life. It's not anything within you and me that actually restores me to life. It gives me life. It's not anything within me. It's Christ in me. He who was outside of me that I receive into me, who is now a part of me that gives me life. This, this is my hope because it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's Him. And sometimes we try and overcomplicate it, make it bigger, more theological, more profound than it is, but it's Jesus. It's Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the hope and the promise that we have. Amen? All right. So we're going to stand together. As a church family, we're going to pray for Fletcher and for anybody that's still battling. Let's stand. And I want to lead us in prayer, but... I want us all to pray. And so I know that it's really weird for us to pray out loud together. And I'm not doing it just to create a noise. I'm doing it because I want to see heaven come in Fletcher's body and spirit and soul. And I want to see heaven come in our bodies and spirits and soul and us as a church community. Amen? All right. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Fletcher is made in your image, that he's fearfully and wonderfully made, that nothing can separate him from your love. We thank you for your hand upon him. We bless him with peace, peace that surpasses understanding. We bless his mum and his dad and his family with the peace that surpasses understanding. We release complete and absolute healing into his body in Jesus' name. By his stripes, by your stripes, Jesus, Fletcher is healed. In the mighty name of Jesus, may this be the minute, may this be the hour that the doctors see the change in Fletcher's body. That as we join with all of heaven to declare healing in Fletcher's body, Lord, that your presence would invade the room where he lays. 
Yes, Jesus. That this would be a turnaround. That this would be a, a miracle that sets off a chain of events of, for Fletcher to know you, for Simon and Samara to know you, for the medical staff to see your hand at work. We bless the medical staff for the work that they're doing, for their expertise and for their wisdom, Lord. We don't discount all the work that they're doing. We bless them with wisdom and discernment to know the next step to take. We say yes and amen to what you are doing and what you're about to do, Lord. This is the day you have made. We will be glad. We will, be, we will rejoice. And we join with the Dandy family to say, let heaven come. Let your presence fall, Lord. Not only for Fletcher, but for every single one of us. Change our hearts, change our minds to draw closer to you, to see you, to know you more and more. God, I pray for us as a community that we won't be satisfied with what we've already experienced, what we already have seen, what we already know, but we'll continue to cry out for more of you, God. There's always more of you in store, and it's not that we just want to be... Oh, we, not that we want to be dissatisfied, but give us a holy discontent to say this is not enough. It's not enough to see sickness and disease prevailing. It's not enough to see people addicted to drugs, alcohol, pornography, anything that is not of you, God. It's not enough to see people that don't have a home. It's not enough that people don't know you, Jesus. God, you are the God of more than enough. You are that good. You are that good. With you, God, nothing is impossible. 